This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to Advanced Base Camp. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek, and I'm here with Steve Cockrum. Steve, what is happening in London today? Well, hello to Jeremy Kubitschek, and hello to all those listeners out there. Um, London is grey, overcast. Um, and cold, believe it or not. I know it'll come as a huge surprise to you to realize the weather is not as lovely as it is where you are, but London is good. London in springtime, heading towards summer. Hey, it's, this is episode number 22. Excited about it, Steve. Amazing. So, um, we've got, I, never we've thought, got... I never thought you'd have enough wisdom for 22 episodes, Jeremy, but there we go. <laughs> you know, I think we have enough content to be 222, I think. But uh, we'll we'll see. <laughs> Who says we can't? Who says we can't? That's right. Hey, uh, last week was a big week. We had uh, Steve and I had a lot of time together. We had our whole team in Atlanta. We had uh, filming mm-hmm. uh, that we did for the Five Voices system, which we're pretty excited about. Uh, we had uh, time with our uh, Atlanta giant team. We had time with our HQ team, and then you got to speak at Leadercast uh, Leadercast Labs. Uh, how, how'd you do? Did you screw up, or did you do okay? Um, I, I think I, I know most Americans are very encouraging by nature, which us Brits have to put on a filter. Because when you say it's awesome, that usually means it's okay. Whereas a Brit says it's okay, it means it was really good. But the feedback was very positive, and uh, yeah, no, it was really good fun. I mean, t- I actually delivered the same laboratory as they called it. I was the professor of self-awareness for the day, which my wife thought was particularly funny. But there we go, and, uh, <laughs> and, and we had um, yeah, no, we had about fifty people in each group, so one hour, 15 minute sessions, four times. So I, by the end of it, I was getting really good at the content I was delivering. So I had lots of nice Facebook messages and obviously being a true pioneer, keep affirming my competence and telling me how talented I am and I'll pretty much work all day. So there we go. So fun. Yeah, it's been fun to, to be able to uh, share and speak and, and uh, do what we do. So today, all of our friends listening around the globe, we're sharing with you some ideas and thoughts about uh, the leadership journey. How do you actually take someone that you're uh, leading uh, in inside your organization? Uh, could even be in your in your personal life. Uh, and how do you take someone through the the very beginning stages of walking with someone? And how do you get them to become productive? How do you get someone from from just starting as a new employee to become something someone that's very valuable and that's an asset to the team or the organization? And so we're going to walk you through one of the tools that we use um, called the, the, it's basically a leadership square. It's a, it's a, it's a journey around uh, the process of becoming uh, competent uh, from incompetent. And I'll let Steve share in a minute. But I, I want to tee it up with this concept. Um, lately, Steve, I've been sharing with a lot of, of our clients or a lot of uh, people I've been speaking with about the idea of responsibility. So when you get a new employee or someone in your life, uh, who's, whose responsibility is it to grow? Is it, is it your responsibility as the leader? Is it their responsibility as the employee? And um, I, the, the illustration I give is a green plant. And I basically lay a green plant out and say, okay, whose responsibility is it for this plant to live and thrive inside a house? Uh, and, and most people, it's almost like they, they want to give just the, the proper answer. Yes. Like, like it's mine. You know, like, well, no, actually, it's not just yours. It's, it's both. It's the green plant and you. The idea that a plant uh, wants to grow, 
by nature it's designed to grow it's it's designed to thrive and so but what but it needs a few things for that it needs proper sunlight it needs water it needs some nutrients right so it's funny when you walk into someone's house and and you go yeah the plant this plant's just not growing like, well it's in the dark room in the corner and have you watered it lately and so the idea is the plant wants to grow most employees the majority of employees people want to grow but they've got to have a few things they need sunlight they need you know they need basic affirmation they need some encouragement they need some vision so we're going to walk through that whole idea of how do you help people thrive Mm -hmm. so steve why don't you tee us up and talk through this um square that we use and and give some context that's brilliant i love that analogy it's really helpful um and i think as well the that you're very familiar with the idea of the, the, the liberating leader as the one who calibrates high support and high challenge. And I think what we'll show you today is that that calibration has to look different at different points in the, that, that leadership journey that people are on. So when you appoint somebody new, <coughs> or when you have a new member of your team, whatever it is, most, most leaders in our experience overestimate what they're capable of doing in the short term. You, you look at their resume, you look at the skills that they allegedly have when you hire them, and most organizations just assume they'll step in and start work and start being productive. And I think that's been fair to say, we've learned that in our world as well. Because when most people join you, they may have the skill sets on a piece of paper or resume, but they don't actually understand your culture, they don't actually understand your way of doing things, and they are largely what we would call unconsciously incompetent. They, they kind of don't know who to ask for things, they don't know where anything is, stored on the drive, they haven't had proper induction. And most people just assume that because your skills from your previous role um, or qualifications, you should just be able to get on with it if I ask you to do something. And that's usually where that first aha happens, that basically the person that you've hired, recruited, uh, brought onto the team is not as competent as you thought they were and as you um, go through that reality, very soon they become aware of that reality and they hit what we would call the second stage of um, the leadership journey, which is conscious incompetence. So now all of a sudden, it's not just you that thinks they're incompetent, they actually realize that what they've done or the work they're doing is not what you um, were hoping it would be. So depending on whether you have a protector tendency and you hint at your displeasure for a period of time or perhaps more the dominator tendency, which kind of makes it abundantly clear that what they've delivered isn't what you asked for, isn't what you were expecting, isn't good enough. You very quickly end up with every new hire, every new member of team, everyone you bring in, feeling like they're consciously incompetent. And at that point, that's really where leadership is hugely important and where most people get it wrong. Because most of us, and we'll talk about voices later, have a tendency to withdraw ourselves and move away from things that look incompetent. We don't want to be associated with incompetence. And so what happens is, at the moment when they need us most, we're the the leader will often start to kind of hedge their bets, wonder whether they've made a good hire, begin to become critical of them, right at the moment where they're feeling the incompetence themselves. So what we say is in that second stage of conscious incompetence, the leader's role is utterly crucial because if you give up on them or you withdraw from them, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy and they will ultimately fail in whatever it is you want. Three things they're looking for, then I'll let you come back and give us some analogies, Jeff, is 
you have to invest time, you have to invest encouragement, and you have to remind them of the vision of why you appointed them in the first place. Because when people are in that place of wondering whether they're going to make it, wondering whether they've made a, you know, whether they're ever going to please you, time, interestingly, is not just time on the task. It's not just I'll sit down and you know show you how to do it again because you're obviously that stupid. It's actually investing time in some degree of relationship because the work is where they feel incompetent. They actually need to know you care about them. And that's one of the biggest challenges because most leaders don't have spare time, let alone to invest in relationship and a coffee or a lunch or whatever it might be. Encouragement, because in the end, they will only draw their confidence from you at this stage and you have to be prepared to say, if you give up on me, I can do nothing. But if you do what I'm asking you to do and you stick at it, you will reach conscious competence. And actually, I'm committed to you in that process. And often we have to say to people, when they believe it least, ultimately it's my responsibility to get you to the place where you are consciously competent. And then, or lastly, reminding them of why they applied for the job in the first place. Why did the two of you agree that this was going to be a good fit? Why were you excited, which most people are, when they start new things? So in conscious incompetence, the leader has to offer time, vision, and encouragement. And if they don't, then you'll find that your um, team member, employee, whatever it may be, ends up reaching a glorious place we call the pit of despair. So Jeremy, come back to me on any, any of that, anything you want to add in. Well, I think the interesting part, when you think of, of, of the employee, that we often talk about the pendulum swing that an employee will do. And there'll be good days, bad days. And, and it's right around the pit of despair. And so you, you, your responsibility is this, what you said, the vision, uh, you know, encouragement and time, because we're trying to get them across that pit so they don't fall into that pit. Uh, the, the reality, though, is that most people um, are not thinking, if, if the leader is not thinking intentionally about the growth of that person, they'll accidentally fall into that pit of despair. Because an accidental culture doesn't create the, um, the ramp or the, the covering to, to go over that pit of despair. So, um, but you have to realize there are good days, bad days. You might have an employee, one day they're going to swing in and they're completely incompetent and they're acting like, what is going on with Robert? Oh my goodness, he's driving me crazy. And then the next day he's like, oh, did you hear that conversation? He, he said exactly what we wanted to say. And it almost surprised. The reality is that's what happens to most people. What's interesting though, it would be amazing if it was just as pure as what we're sharing, that everyone comes to work and they're constantly getting better every day. You throw into that life of the individuals. So you might have, um, you might have an employee who's going through a divorce. You might have, you might have someone whose uh, children or kids are sick or there's some, uh, their car broke down. There's something going on uh, in their personal life and they aren't really sharing the details with you or maybe they are sharing too much of the de- details with you. And so what happens then is it becomes really complicated to the leader because the leader wants to go, well, this is what, I'm, this is what we need to accomplish at work, but they're trying to be sensitive. So um, this is where the support challenge matrix really, really is important because some of us personality types that are the more feeler types will listen to someone's story about what's going on in their real life and we'll start to protect them because mm-hmm. we're, we're a nice person or we just want them to, well, we really want them to do the work, but we want them to be happy 
So we enable them uh, at times to do things that, that's not really helpful. And so in that process of enabling, uh, we have a, uh, an issue of protecting. That's not liberating, so we don't share expectations enough. Uh, and then on, on other times, what, what happens is um, maybe certain personalities become very uh, defensive and frustrated, so they'll dominate, and they'll, they'll make comments like, you know what, uh, whatever's happening at, at home, let it stay at home. When you're here, you work. And so that can actually force them into the pit of despair. So there's this calibration of being a liberator between um, uh, high support and high challenge. And that, that it's almost like an art and a science to figure out what people need, when they need it, and how do I swing them and make sure that they're, they're consistently in the conscious competence arena, which, again, is very, very difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, I think what we find is whenever we unpack this process you realize how many moving parts there are and how many variables there are. And I think if you, if you remember, we, we always say you need to know yourself to lead yourself first. So what are your tendencies? So I'm a, I'm a pioneer connector, which means I'm very good at selling the original vision and recruiting the people. But when they hit conscious incompetence and it's costing me time and money and effort, my natural tendency is to assume that it's their fault, not mine. And therefore, the temptation of the pioneer is I get more frustrated or I get cross or, you know, I might either blow up or, or worse still, I'll abdicate. And I'll go, you know, you just do the best you can. Because at that point, part of me, I guess, in my tendency is half hoping they get the hint that they're incompetent and maybe they make the difficult decision to move on rather than me have to be the nasty person who says, you're utterly useless. I made a very bad hire. So if you think of that tendency, guardians would have a similar thing. If you think they're perfectionist tendencies of the guardian, you'll be amazed or you'll often see where a guardian is just getting more and more frustrated at the incompetence of someone they're trying to help. They'll just go, oh, let me do it. I'll do it. You know, because how can anyone be the master craftsman the way the guardian is? And therefore, for them to watch somebody representing them being incompetent, they think they're offering support. By other, what they're really doing is completely undermining what little confidence remained and effectively creating another self-fulfilling prophecy. So maybe talk a little bit about the connector creative tendencies, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually um, had lunch with a, a connector. He's actually a dentist. He's miserable um, <laughs> in his uh, field. And I started pulling like, what's going on? Why are you so miserable? And I realized he's protecting his people to such a degree that he's created an, an enabling culture. Mm. So he's actually now, um, he, he basically, his people are, he's overworking and they're underworking and he's enabling it to happen because there's so many fragile situations, he kept saying. Mm. You know, it's fragile, it's complicated, I can't, I'm like, no, it's actually, I mean, yes, it is fragile and yes, it is complicated, <laughs> but that's not a, an excuse. So he's actually created, and so the other day, he said he had to come down hard and they almost had a mutiny in his hands because they had never seen him. Mm. And so he switched down, his protector became a dominator. And so his, his desire to want to make things right, he just got so fed up and then came with all this vitriol and vigor and it freaked everyone out. Mm. And now they're, so, you know, I was like, you created this culture. So the connectors, what they'll do is to keep the peace, to make sure everyone is having, they're inspired and excited, they'll do things uh, for other people and then the other people kind of atrophy they can't handle as much their capacity goes down and all of the 
the work it falls on the leader mm-hmm. and then they get overwhelmed and they get frustrated and then they blow up and it's a vicious cycle so that's why it's so important to understand the, the support challenge matrix this idea of, of what does it mean to be a liberator and to be so intentional with your people along the way to know where they are that's what i love about this uh, leadership square is it, i can look at every employee and know where they are on the square. Are they in an unconscious um, you know, incompetence? Are they in the pit of despair? Are they right on the pit of despair? And how do I make sure that they don't get in there? Um, we have one team member that's been really close to the pit of despair, and we've talked about it openly. And it's because of that we've talked about it openly, I think that will affect them uh, by not being in there. And so we talk about vision, we talk about time, we talk about encouragement, and we also talk about the challenge and what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So by, by knowing where people are and being intentional using that language, it actually uh, helps people become more effective. Yeah, and we're so used to dealing with uh, visual tools. So if you're listening and can't see our visual tool, if you just imagine a square with four sides. And we, we're really describing the four stages at a simplistic level of where most people go on their leadership journey between First stage would be unconscious incompetence. They think they're better than they are. Then we're talking a lot about that bottom right kind of um, sort of part of the square, which is conscious incompetence. And you'll have heard Jeremy talk about the pit of despair. And there is the, the turn at the bottom right corner of the square between conscious incompetence and conscious competence is where most people get stuck. It's where people either fire them, give up on them, or because in a lot of organizations it's not possible to fire people, they end up basically just being left in what we call the pit of despair. They feel consciously incompetent, nobody's really there to help them, they kind of muddle along, do the best they can, and we often say that people make home in the pit of despair, and that becomes their new normal, they're slightly cynical about the organization, their gear, everything's just a bit of a a hard yards, and you often wonder, you look at your team or organization and go, God, you know, I thought that so-and-so was going to be an all-star and now they're just a bit disengaged, they're not really trying that much, they're more interested in what they're doing outside of work, they're pretty cynical when it comes to team meetings. I wonder what happened with them. And of course what we do then is we assume it's all their fault. Whereas actually when you look at it, a lot of the time it's leaders abdicated or gave up or thought they were being good by not bringing real challenge and effectively left them in that self-fulfilling prophecy of what we call the pit of despair. And it becomes a workaround that yeah. those people, everyone kind of works around them and yeah. then they talk. So it's, it's then really gossip actually enters in because there's gossip with the team going, what happened to them? And then there's gossip with that person with the other pit of dis- people in the pit of despair. And there's mm-hmm. always three or four other people in the pit of despair, which I think is so funny. And they're all, they're all drinking coffee together and like, how long have you been down here? <laughs> And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh really? Yeah, him too. Oh, he's horrible. And then they start talking negatively about what management is not doing, and there's us versus them. And this happens in every organization. And everyone, it'd be really funny, by the way, if you could actually have a visual. How many people are in the pit of despair inside such and such company? Mm-hmm. You know, and you could say there's hundreds, there's thousands, uh, but usually on every team, there's at least one person who's in it or mm-hmm. uh, circling around. So, I think, and what, I think what we're trying to challenge you today as you listen, if you're leading people, when you look at each member of your team or the people you're leading, and you ask, how are they doing right now? 
that the temptation is to assume that, well, if they're not doing well, it's, it's partly their issue. What we're encouraging you to do is to own that question of thinking, what do they need from me right now? Is it support? Is it challenge? It will be. What does that actually look like? Because the real holy grail, the, the kind of the, the goal of all leader development, of team development, apprenticeship, whatever you want to call it, is how do we get our people around the bottom right corner so that instead of living most of their time in conscious incompetence, they actually begin to experience conscious competence. And if you will do that for a person, if you'll multiply a skill and knowledge and expertise, if you set them up for success and they reach that place, not only do they become incredibly useful to the productivity of you and your team, but they also become incredibly personally loyal to you because so few leaders are good at doing it, which is why I think part of the reason people tend to move jobs relatively quickly because they, it's almost like they need some fresh air and the chance to be in that exciting phase again of where the vision is fresh and everything's new. So I think we've worked incredibly hard ourselves and also really worked hard to encourage leaders to take on the challenge of actually learning how to lead people around that bottom corner um, between conscious incompetence and that conscious competence. Can you give some examples, Jess? Yeah, no, I think um, I think that's a great way to, to summarize it. Um, it's fascinating, by the way, as you think about how many employees leave and they never make it to conscious competence. Mm. So they stay as long as possible at the unconscious um, yeah, incompetence. They're clueless and they don't know it. And then when they, re- when they reach, they're clueless and they realize they're clueless. They stay there for just a little while, then they move on. And they never really settle into their sweet spot. It's really fascinating. <laughs> Most people write them a great reference, hoping that they'll be someone else's problem uh, somewhere down the line. I think over in England, we've, we've made it illegal now to write um, untrue references. So people write very cryptic references in a very British way where they state the obvious without ever putting the words in. So, uh, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy is, has enormous potential and... Um, been, been, it's, it's been a real pleasure to work with him and I'm, I'm sure he will fulfill that potential at some stage in the future. I wish you luck. Which, that, yeah, that. yeah, which is like, can, if, the, if you really read what they're really trying to say, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad to get him off my team. I wish you the best. Maybe you can get him to the next level as we couldn't. Yes, uh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, that's so funny. Um, no, it's so true though. This is, but this is the plight of every employer-employee relationship. Mm. But I, I would just summarize it like this. It's intentional, intentional um, leadership, mm-hmm. intentional liberation versus accidental living, accidental leadership. And once you become intentional, it's like a light switch. We always say you have a light switch on your back from intentional, accidental to intentional. Once you switch it on, mm-hmm. then you, sh- you look at people differently. We just simply, what we do at Giant is we simply give tools for everyone listening People that they're so simple and sticky that people get it and then they share it with other people. So the concept then of helping people really see themselves for where they really are and adjust, that's called self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And that process of self-awareness is really what we're trying to get you to as you listen today to go, how in, am I being intentional with my employees, with my team? Uh, am I living accidentally? And is there something I could do to actually help people can I bring more vision? Can I bring more time, more encouragement to those that I'm leading so that I can make sure that they get to the conscious competence level and not get stuck in the pit of despair? That's really good. I mean, it's good. And another way of looking at it, Jez, is when you think, what do my people need from me? 
assuming that I'm good at what I do. And instead of using the, the unconscious competence, conscious competence lens, think of the journey around that leadership square as the first stage is really where I do it and you watch because I'm going to model for you what best practice is. The second stage is I do it and you help. The third stage is you do it and I help. And the fourth stage is you do it and I watch. So if you think of the basic premise of how we multiply skills, knowledge, expertise, know-how, whatever it may be inside your world, you would be amazed how easy it is to do the first one. So most people are pretty good at, hey, watch this, <laughs> I'll show you how to do it. You then do something that you've spent thousands and thousands of hours becoming an expert in that you don't even have to think about anymore. You're unconsciously competent. You show them once and you go, off you go, go and have a go at doing it yourself. And then you go, well, how, how difficult was it? I showed you how to do it twice. And what most people <laughs> miss is in our busy world where time is everything, they almost want to go from stage one straight to stage four. So I do it, you watch, you do it, I watch. And they miss out, unfortunately, the two essential components of really building the skills, knowledge, expertise that the organization needs if it's to continue growing and expanding its capacity. So I don't know about you, I mean, I don't know which one you find most difficult, the I do it, you help, or you do it, I help. I know which one I do, but go on, tell me, tell me which one of those would you find most difficult? I think it's hard for me because I, I do the, um, under the, I, uh, I do it, you help, because um, what I have a hard time as the connector is that I just want to do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want their help, <laughs> so um, it's almost like I do it. You watch all the way through. Now you just yeah. do it, right? And so it's not. It, it's really hard for me in that that regard. Uh, the the other thing is just to stop and slow down enough to be intentional to let them help and let them be a part because I have the desire for them to already want to be in the position that I envision them to be. Mm. So that process for me is really difficult, and I simply want them to go from, yeah, unconscious incompetence to conscious competence. Like, I want them just to get it. So I want them to be, so, so they're so cognitive in what they're doing, that there is no pain or no drama in the process. So that patience for me is really, really difficult. And particularly as stages two and three feel like you're being slowed down, because you actually have to be very intentional to ask, what does it they can actually help me with that actually makes it a meaningful learning experience for them? It's not, oh, by the way, go and get the coffees or the sandwiches for lunch. That's not, I do you help. It's giving them the opportunity to hear often and see what you're thinking and what you're doing. So I often become, you know, this is my teacher background, I often become always trying to be thinking, what am I thinking that I can share with the person who's watching because you're guaranteed there's an awful lot of new things going on that you're not showing them. And the question I always ask, which hopefully may be helpful for people in third stage, so this is, I think, the hardest for a leader, where you're now doing it, so I've actually got to give you work to do, and I'm helping you. I may set it up, I may be available to you, but the hardest thing in the world is to create the right calibration of support and challenge in the skills that you're asking them to and finding the right support for them because you're really trying to get them to the point where they can move eventually into that stage where they're doing it, you're watching. So a number of our team will often come and say um, to, to us, uh, Steve, Jeremy, um, we've got this problem, what would you do? 
And I always ask them, I go, well, what question am I about to ask back to you? And they go, oh, yes, okay. You're about to say, Steve, if I wasn't here, what would you do if you had to make a decision on this right now? Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give them real ownership. I'm not going to let them make an awful decision. And I am going to give them my wisdom and insight, hopefully, in, along the process. But I want them to feel the weight of responsibility. And usually that means, okay, guys, if I was under a bus and in the hospital for the next three days and you had to make a call on this client account, what would you do right now? Because that forces their real thinking. A number of us are tempted often to go, hey, that's really good. I'll finish it for you, which basically means they get a bit lazy because they never actually believe that the work they bring to us is the work that could potentially go straight out the door to the client. I don't know. That's been a, a real learning for me anyway. Yeah, no, it's great. Well, our, our whole purpose of today and again, all of the Liberator podcasts is simply to get you to the point that's listening um, where, where you have the tools, you have the language, you have uh, ways that you can really lead at another level. And the liberator, the lifestyle of a liberator means that you fight for the highest possible good of those that you lead. So if you're fighting for the highest possible good, then you're really going to be intentional. You're going to look to see what they need when they need it. You're going to help them give that. You're going to give them the vision, time, and encouragement uh, to become a productive, valuable asset on the team. And, you know, again, back to the plant illustration, uh, people want to grow in the same way plants want to grow. They simply need uh, some water, they need some, which is really vision, time, and encouragement, is water, uh, sunlight, and nutrition. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that well, then you've got people who are thriving, and, and uh, like we always say, liberators turn things green. So to have a green thumb, to use that illustration, means that you actually help people uh, become a thriving uh, part of the team. So think on, think on the, these thoughts, uh, utilize the tools that we give you, and as you become a liberator yourself and continue to grow in that, uh, we hope that you'll, you'll give your people the chance to really thrive and grow in the same way that we're trying and learning ourselves. Steve, any other uh, last thoughts from you? Yeah, I think um, this has been so helpful again for us to unpack it. I think the thing that I would say from our experience is that we always tend to overestimate how quickly people will be up and productive and consciously competent. I look in the journey of our you know, giant team, we almost have a rule of thumb now is however excited we are about appointing them to a new role and we believe in them for the future, we believe in their character, I think on the whole it's usually been between 6 and 12 months before they start to produce at the level in the beginning we thought that somebody would just be able to step into. And I think just being aware of that in your planning an allocation of resource. So managing your expectation of what it actually takes to create someone who's able to function at a consciously competent level, I would say is usually a lot longer than most leaders would like it to be. That, that's exactly how I feel about you, Steve. Um, it's taken... <laughs> sorry. You don't need to be sorry, It's Jeff. taken it's far like... longer than... <laughs> oh. I'm joking. Because you've, you've taught me all I know about intentional multiplication, uh, so I'm so grateful. Uh, that's fun. That little, nice little British uh, dig there. Uh, so um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always fun to, uh, to be with you. We, we, we have a great time. For those that are listening, uh, th we're, we're the co-founders of Giant and uh, Giant Worldwide. We lead uh, teams and organizations around the world who are basically serving as Sherpas 
to teams and organizations. And, and so we consult. Uh, we have uh, people who are, are serving organizations with a, a, a really a plan for growth and thriving, uh, getting people to become a valuable asset. So uh, oftentimes we like to say we deal with the people problem. Uh, if there's a if there's a problem inside an organization, we deal with people, and those tend to be where most problems exist. And we've created solutions that actually work. And uh, we've been doing this now for a number of years, and it's fun to watch it spread. So thanks for being along with us. Hopefully you've been encouraged, and uh, we wish you well. Until next time, have a great uh, have a great time. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.